Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions, from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science. We'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. So we are at the last and final portion of our four-part analysis that we do in our programs. And when I keep on saying in our program, I'm not getting you to sign up. I'm telling you how we're doing this. So I want you to have a mental category of this is just part one. This is the analysis. This is finding out what this person is about. And I believe this is very important. This is where I've come from and all my years of sitting across the table with people is that you get these bromide recommendations, meaning this sort of broad recommendation, one thing suits everybody. It's going to suit some people and it's mostly not going to suit other people. So enter in the era of looking more deeply, not only on the labs, so that's blood work, but looking into genomic work, looking into hormonal panels looking into intracellular micronutrients, and now we're getting somewhere. This also can be related to this whole movement that started primarily out in Silicon Valley called the quantified self, and that started about, I think, four or five years ago, and so now it's all the wearables and all that other. I'm not going that far. I'm still hitting what I consider the icebergs of information relative to personal bio-individuality, and I think this is important, and I think it's actionable information. It's not just, oh, this is nice. You know, this guy likes blue. This guy likes green. Isn't that interesting? My aunt used to like green. And I'm not interested in any of that. I'm interested in things that have to do with why somebody comes in to see a doctor, namely me, their physician, and saying, can you help me? This is how I hurt. This is my situation. Sometimes it's extreme, various types of cancer, less extreme, advanced autoimmune conditions less extreme temporary situations and food allergies and so on and so forth. Okay then, so let's start. First of all, I'm going to tell you where I work. I'm going to imagine that you are me and you have an iMac in front of you. So on that screen, we now have put up your spreadsheet, your, and I'm meaning your data, depending it's you, your data of your blood work. So that's on the upper left-hand side. In the middle, I have your genome list of SNPs, so I can scroll through that. And then on the right, I put your hormone panel. And on the spreadsheet in which I had the labs on the left-hand side, the lower part, I put in your deficiencies, borderline deficiencies of 
the intracellular test. So now I have all the data in front of me on one screen. And this is what I consider the fun part, the interesting part, where you get to see certain correlations. So we're, we're looking at four conditions, right? So I'm not going to go through and throw up all their labs and everything, but I'm going to summarize those particular conditions. But I am going to go through an exact an, an example here and then summarize those other conditions, which were the female infertility, the Crohn's, hormone imbalance, and obesity slash fatty liver. And we'll I'll tell you how they worked out and and how that looks. But right now we're looking at a man who kind of represents a lot of that. He's obese, but he does not have fatty liver because his liver hormones, his liver hormones, his liver tests are not uh, that high. They're high normal, but they're not egregiously high. And so now I get to look at it since I know what this person incentive is to participate in the program. I know their living arrangements. I certainly know what this person eats. I get to see that he's tracking his food. So I get to see that both before and after he came into the program. I now get to check in to see how his CGM results are. And so how his blood sugar levels are throughout the day or the last couple of days. It's usually a seven-day swath of data I get to scroll through. He may or may not have taken independently some ketone levels and some glucose readings per his finger prick. And so all of this is just very, very helpful for me to help him. Some of the things that, uh, let me just give you a quick overview on his blood work. What was egregious is that he had pretty high inflammation. He had awfully high insulin, which is unbeknownst to him that he had high insulin. We're talking about fasting insulin of 20, of over 20. His fasting glucose was 117. Now, that wouldn't bother many conventional doctors. They'd say, you know, uh, they give, probably would have gotten the conversation, you ought to focus on this because it's starting to drift high. Well, when you put that together with the glucose, it's high, baby. You're high. You've already gone into the room that needs to have much more attention. Let's jump down to, is he, yes, he's significantly insulin resistance by a number of calculations. His HDL is low, his triglycerides are high. His inflammation by elevated platelets is also high. That's about all the, the goodies there to summarize. Uh, his omega-3s, you can bet, you know, obviously they're high and it's low on the EPA, DHA, he's high in the omega-6s, low on the omega-3s. And we'll leave it at that. What is his vitamin D? His vitamin D, his IGF-1 was almost 200. Homocysteine was elevated, but about 10. I like to see it under five, if not three. So we have things to look at, put it that way. So now we go over to say, all right, what did this hormone show? These hormones show that as a male, uh, 55 at the time of this, this is now pretty old, he had very high estrogen, estradiol specifically, and very low, below, below the low level of this value for functioning. And so let me give you a number 19. I know it's arbitrary, but relative to the age group, the age group, you should have uh, someplace in the level of 60. So between 30 and 80. So that's about 60, 55, 60. So he's significantly low. And his graph of cortisol rise and flow through the day, it's below the low level, most of it. It's a squeak above some parts, but mostly it's low. And his conversion from cortisol 
to cortisone is slow, which usually indicates thyroid issues. I know I'm throwing all this at you, but this is how it allows me to look at things. And I have a few surprises coming up for you. So let's go a little further. Yes, I said his testosterone is low, which as you already know, immediately converts to estrogen. So that's 99% of the reason why his estrogen is so high. The question is, can he metabolize his estrogen correctly? And he has some difficulty with methylating, which is one of your ways of breaking down your estrogen. And his androgens collectively are very low. What else we got here? We have his indications that he has this I'm sort of looking at the hormone panel because we have the precursors for various neurotransmitters. And if these precursors are high, it means the precursor is not being converted to the neurotransmitter. And more than likely, that neurotransmitter would be probably pretty low. So sure enough, he has strong indications that he's probably low in B12, B6, glutathione, uh, dopamine is okay, low in norepinephrine and epinephrine, and he's very high for oxidative stress. So that's sort of the flash through that. I can even break out other things, but I think I'd lose you in the details if I haven't lost you already, right? Okay. So now we look at the genome and saying, can we find any correlations with any of these panels? And so we're looking at about 100 different SNPs, single nuclear polymorphisms that are known, and there's a lot of research out. We're not looking at the whole genome because there's a lot that people still don't know about. We're looking at that congestion of known SNPs that cause problems and then saying that we're not even taking it as an absolute truth. We're saying, does he have these SNPs and is he heterozygous on one chromosome or is he homozygous having that on both chromosomes? And does that correlate with the blood work we saw? Does that correlate with any of his hormones we saw? Does that correlate with any of the intercellular deficiencies, micronutrient deficiencies? Since this is how we put it together. So off we go. What are some of the things, and I just boxed out some egregious things. He has clearly a problem of methylation. He has homozygous and heterozygous issues around that. And that's what genes I've been talking about, MTHFR, MTRR. I know you're going, ah, who, what, where? Anyway, these are related genes. And if you get a cluster of genes that, as I say, have to, are regulating a certain intersection, and all ways into this intersection have problems, you're going to have a problem. And this is how I look at it. We also can look at it schematically, have it mapped out. We also look at genes that have to do with neurotransmitters. And this particular person has homozygous for the worst alleles, those are the worst SNPs you could have for COMT, MAOA, MAOB. If that's Greek to you, let it go. But you've heard of MAO inhibitors. Uh, if you're into natural medicine, you would have said St. John's wort is a moderate MAO inhibitor. Anyway, so we now can suspect by just looking at the genome report that he'll probably have a neurotransmitter issue. We just got a verification of that through his hormone panel. And methylation also, we found in his hormone panel, he was not a good methylator for his estrogen. So that means estrogen detoxification could be a problem without support. Let's go on. We do look into things like APOE, but I'm just looking for APOE44 as an issue to address. If you're not APOE44 and what that means, the 44 means you're not APOE4 on both chromosomes, then I'm less concerned. It catches my attention and I 
triple look at things if you're ApoE44. So the other one that I haven't talked about much was VDR SNP, so vitamin D receptor, VDR. And there's a number of SNPs that are problematic. That is that even though you might have enough vitamin D in you, in your serum, it's the receptor is a problem and you may well need more vitamin D than simply the 70, 60 or 70 that I say is, is a general number. So you're no longer a general person. You're a person if you have these particular VDR problems as well. You need more of it. So now we go over to his blood work and we look at what was his vitamin D? His vitamin D was 41. So it's not egregiously low, but I would say knowing now that he has a vitamin D receptor problem, he should at least be in the 80s. And that would make a significant difference in a lot of these things. Also, I want to go to the methylation. So I remember, I probably don't remember the call it the MTHFR, the methylation-related genes, that on this particular report, and I like this, it's a quick and dirty report, gives me a map, gives me an explanation. Listen to this, that uh, he has a bad set, a bad pair of MTHFR, as as do I, by the way, and those are related to off-the-cup things like cleft lip, spina bifida, schizophrenia, bipolar. Now let's see what else they have that related with, in the MTRR, I told you about that, it says, okay, genotype may raise homocysteine more than another gene. It birth defects that are associated with this are neural tube defects. I mentioned that. A B12 status and Down syndrome, ventricular septal defect. Now, what's interesting is he was born, ventricular septal defect is when you have a hole in your heart. The reason you have a hole in your heart is because we were all babies and we're all fetuses and we all became humans at, at one point. But the, to go from a fetus to a baby, your circulatory system initially depended on your mother, right, through the placenta. And so, and then when you came into the real world, you were totally dependent on what you could pump for your own heart. So there's a hole in your heart that basically goes from placental circulatory, mom placental circulation to, and after you're born, it heals up. It's a little bit of a vulnerability for all babies, but it heals up. And some people that had this particular polymorphism, it does not heal up. And so consequently, you never have a strong heart. And it's not just about heart strength. It's about mixing oxygenated blood with non-oxygenated blood. So you never get a good pump of oxygen because it's always being mixed there. So he had that. And in fact, he had to go earlier on get that fixed. And so they go in, give you heart surgery and stitch it together. That's interesting. So that confirmed that. And we kind of know that that's no longer a surprise. If you have these things, they actually do manifest in heart problems and cleft lips and all these other things. Okay. So another one was, is that the MTRR, which he had the two worst of, has to do with increase in IGF and increase in dopamine. So that would mean perhaps a predisposition to addiction. So addiction doesn't necessarily mean drugs. It may mean the addiction to the fun stuff of processed foods and the whole carb addiction idea. And increased IGF, he has not out of range, but he has high normal IGF. So some of these things now make sense. So we look for the correlations that make sense, and then we look for the problems that we can address. So uh, he's a guy, so he's not necessarily 
going to be open about all these different things, and what bothers him or doesn't bother him. That just goes with kind of male behavior. Believe it or not, it's true, and I'm sure I fall into that as well. But so this is what we're looking for. What associations are there? And and what can we address? So I'll leave it at that. There's there's more to look at. So now we have a correlation. We have the three panels here, and I can scoot down to say, well, what sort of intercellular deficiencies did he have? And he had copper, which usually goes along with zinc, alpha lipoic acid, which has to do with liver conditions, serine and oleic acid. He had borderline deficiencies of glutamine, carnitine, choline, and glutathione, and manganese B3, B1. So it sounds like I'm naming off a lot of a lot of things, but there's other people that have very little that are generally pretty healthy. So now I go, okay, now I understand, you know, what is the top of my list? Well, vitamin D would be an easy one to tell them, you know, we're going to go for higher normals than you're used to having because of the VDR mutation that you have. We're also going to be addressing the methylation issue because that will help us detoxify not only estrogen, but a lot of other hormones have to go through a methylation process to be detoxified. Methylation also has to do, and we're getting this from the chart that came with the intracellular, is that we get to see his nutrient deficiencies overlaying on his neurotransmitter cycles and what's being produced. And so now we get to see not only does he have nutrient deficiencies that have to do with making neurotransmitters, but he has genome, he has the SNPs, that also are giving him a problem for making certain neurotransmitters. I'm not saying he's not making them. I'm saying he can't make them quickly when he needs them. And that's the thing about neurotransmitters. They're quick on and quick off, quick on and quick off. And often with autism, changing subjects slightly, it's not talking about this guy anymore, is that with autism, often they are stuck with just an, an always on with certain neurotransmitters. So they're very buzzy and hard for them to get their attention. So it is also a neurotransmitter problem that has multivectorial causes. And you look for some of those things you can address. Okay. So we can address things. Certainly dropping his carbs, not necessarily increasing his fats, but changing. Since we now know in his blood work, he has very little on the omega-3s. That's one thing we will start changing. That will certainly help with inflammation. It will help with neurotransmitters. It help with brain health to be very simple about it. And it will also help with immune system. So I will leave that there on this particular walkthrough. Those are the panels I had in front of me. Now I'll say, so what was the person's who was the fatty liver obese? What did they have? Well, they had very high estrogen, very low testosterone, very much like this this profile we're looking at right now, very straightforward. What did they have and, and that would be expected, and that would be a self-induced, self-induced in the sense that diet is pretty much totally responsible for that, maybe with some genetic predisposition, but diet alone can make that change. So now we start coming to genomically, you know, what, what SNPs did that person have when we look for methylation ones, when we look for neurotransmitter ones, when we look for fat metabolism and a few other areas that we look at. There is an overlay, but his diet and methylation contributed to what he was being affected with. We can pull those things back. We can address the mutations that he has by having to have certain B vitamins at higher dose and ideally 
to have certain B vitamins that are already methylated. So they don't have to be methylated. So they're not going to be dependent on these particular enzymes. So I give them a leg up. Suddenly a light goes on in the skies. Both these are talking about men in both these cases. They go, "Uh uh-huh. You know, suddenly my mind is clear. Suddenly, not like a cup of coffee suddenly, but suddenly they feel that they get up in the morning with a more precise, I'm awake now, let's get going. So you get to see these changes and you have to take them gradually. You don't just sink them under a boat of supplements. You choose very carefully, what are you going to do to address this? The diet cannot be underestimated. It cannot be underappreciated in the sense that you drop the carbs, a lot of things happen. A lot of things happen. But if you're dealing with a person who has a propensity to addiction, and you can say just by what they've told you, by their past, or by neurotransmitters you're looking into, that you have to take it a little more gradually. I mentioned, um, I don't know if I mentioned glucagon, but if you're dealing with somebody who has a very low glucagon, like below the range glucagon, you're going to have to wake their metabolism up slowly. So first step certainly is leveling out the blood sugar. That means you get rid of all the crap and you start having real food. So that may mean eliminating the carbs or it may mean as a first step, getting rid of the processed foods and having them have carbs that are earth to you. What I would tell my patients, earth to you. Did it come from lettuce is earth to you? There wasn't any middleman or middle woman in 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 the meantime, giving that to you, and they were not covered with pesticides. So when you start having these kind of earth to you, greens, not grains, or starches, you'll find a big, big change. Okay, so that was a fatty liver. That was the obesity. In terms of the woman who's in her late 30s, who is infertile and hasn't been able to get pregnant yet, you really need to lock down both by what you saw in the blood work, lock down the low carbs. It cannot be stressed enough. The, uh, so if this person had, well, the person did have elevated insulin and borderline elevated glucose, so you really needed to pull that back down. You needed to drive that point across and saying, we're going to change over and we're not going to like make you feel deprived. We're just going to start working with other kind of things we need to eat. And you're going to measure. So you're going to be able to look on the freestyle labor, her CGM. You're going to have her test for her. We're not going to look for ketones necessarily. That would be nice. We're going to look for just getting the glucose down, getting it down, getting it level. Actually, at first you level out, take the peaks away, step one. Step two, you, you lower that level to well within range on a majority basis. And so that's a big deal. You make a dramatic change. And so we did make a dramatic change in that woman's life by doing that. And so then when she doesn't always have to wear her CGM in the future, but she, you're learning, you're teaching rules, you're learning cause and effect. So she can look at, see her CGM and see that she ate such and such and look what it did. She can tell the difference in the kind of exercise she's doing, how it affects her blood sugar uh, in a good and bad way. Having that kind of feedback and that kind of understanding, you then can take off all the little guideposts, which are all the gizmos. They're basically, it's, they're left with having to take some vitamin, some supplements to compensate for their deficiencies that we've seen on their intracellular panel. Okay. And the hormone imbalance person, now you know the diet drives a lot of the testosterone going to estrogen. Estrogen is more of an issue with women, especially 
perimenopausal and postmenopausal, most certainly their estrogen drops. That's a duh. That just happens. That's not a bad thing. It happens. However, you need to have a balance. Are they detoxifying their estrogens correctly? And they're not overproducing one that is a a, a DNA damaging free radical component of estrogen because they're not uh, detoxifying it correctly. So you can address these things, but once you find out where this person is, then you address that, and then you provide some supplements to change that pattern. So, and you look at the fats, right? Now you know, you can look into the kind of fats they have. You can see through their diet, regardless of what they say. You know, you make sure your omega-3s are there, and you measure it. And by the way, supplementation for omega-3 is not necessarily the best way to change the ratio. It's, it's better than nothing, for sure. And there's a number of studies that have already shown this that it's actually by having the the healthier fatty fish from the Arctic to, um, or, so what am I saying? Um, salmon would be great. Some of you, what other fatty? Cod could be good as well. But you, I would get cod from Iceland because a cod liver oil from Iceland, and you're getting cod livers, so we started getting that. And uh, it's a dramatic difference. So that's how you get your omega-3s. You don't have to be too clever. You just have to have good sources. All right. So who would I leave out? Pregnancy, the Im- hormonal imbalance. Oh, Crohn's. The Crohn's and the autoimmune. The autoimmune, what you find, we learned from the panel, the autoimmune would probably be a person who has habitually low glucagon, probably had elevated, habitually high insulin, which they're finding out for the first time, and moderately high glucose. So hemoglobin, when I see, could be pre-diabetic or diabetic or non-diabetic. It's on the way of getting worse. And so you that's a dietary intervention, as well as you can get some supplements that basically help in bringing that insulin down long term. Try not to make it too tricky. Try not to make it too hack oriented because if it's hack oriented, they're not taking the bigger picture seriously. They think they can just go out and and binge on all their former bad habits and come back because they have this set of pills you've given them. So you haven't changed their mindset if you've given them better pills. That's moderately better. But you really need to inculcate, help, teach what they need to do to take care of themselves. And their supplements are to supplement the change that they're making in their own life. And they will make that. So anyway, the Crohn's person is obviously about microbiome. So when you start changing their diet, you're going to start changing the microbiome. In the transition, of course, you'll be using various probiotics. But eventually, you won't be using any probiotics. You know, it's going to be self-regulatory. You've now moved into a healthy way of eating and therefore away from um, having a bad probiotic. So stress is one of the things I haven't really talked about in these four particular situations. And stress can be an independent factor that can just blow a hole through all these things I've been talking about. So if you're stressed because of the job you have or the relationship you have or the finance you had, and it's just unrelenting, and it's unrelenting by a number of years, well, like it was with me, it wasn't unrelenting for a number of years, but it grew, right? It's one stress after another, a death, a financial, da-da-da-da-da, wife's illness. It cranks up, and your blood sugar, whether you're eating refined carbs or not, gets higher and higher on a regular basis. So in terms of your blood sugar, it's as if you were eating processed carbohydrates. You're getting an exogenous source of glucose all the time. Here, you're getting an endogenous source of glucose that you are making for yourself because you are so freaking stressed. So that the net results are the same. So in that person, 
yes, dietary changes are, you'd have to look at their diet, right? The dietary changes would probably be required, but you really have to look at the source of the stress and what can you do to tackle that? Can you help them through a quote-unquote stress management strategy? Is that the way to go? It would have to be included in this particular way of working with people, but you need to find the cause. Is the cause need to be analyzed? Does that person need some special help on dealing with that stress? But by dealing with that stress, or is the stress going to pass of itself? But dealing with that stress, minimizing that stress, you're now dropping the blood sugar, you're dropping the chronically high blood glucose, and things will dramatically change, in part because of the diet, but mostly because of you've identified stress and what stress does, cortisol, the glucagon, to gluconeogenesis, etc. So I hope that has been helpful. So in one way, you can say, well, gosh, you can treat everybody this way. Well, we wanted to go down and look at some bioindividuality, and, and certainly I could spend a long time on the genomic panel and it's kind of fun to do, frankly, because you look at, wow, now, we, now you want to go back and you look at the blood work and you go over and look at the hormones or the intracellular deficiency, see if there's correlations there. But when you have a lot of homozygous, negative polymorphisms, right, these SNPs uh, for hormones, that's hard. You know, you need, there's going to, certainly it's dietary, there'll probably be some supplement intervention, but you can pull them back. And they can have a normal life and they don't have to always be tied to these things, but they'll, they need to do their part. They need to participate. It's not just a do me kind of thing. So this information is fascinating to them only if it's incorporated into a plan and it can be very, very, very effective. You know, now he said, well, hopefully they're thinking of their ancestry and their brother, sister, mother, father, aunt, uncle, whatever. And they go, you know, I've had some wake up or aha moments of people in the program when they said, you know, my aunt or my father was an alcoholic and now I understand why. Well, if you now can intervene and remove the neurotransmitter problem, then suddenly it's easier for them to drink less and not simply be the next generation of that pattern, of that pattern induced by the predisposition of their genome. So it's it's very exciting when you get to do that. And so when you explain that it's not them and their choices. It's in part what they were born with, the predisposition, and the predisposition can be addressed. And you show them it's well within their reason to address it. And in the course of the 90-day program, they start addressing it and they feel these changes that you've incorporated, that you encourage them to incorporate. And they go, wow, that's phenomenal. That's very exciting. Okay, I am going to leave it at that and saying this is the end of our four-part series on looking at particular conditions, going through the four ways, the four panels that we evaluate people. From there on out, it's about educating week after week of different things and why they would do this. So it gets a lot deeper, but this is the foundation we build it on. And it's completely essential, whether it's in our program or not in our program, as I said to some of you, find somebody in your area that does something similar. This is not rocket science. This is called comprehensive medicine, if you will. I've been trying to stay away from the word medicine because this is within your ability to do with yourself, to incorporate. Yes, you'll need some guidance, but this is where we are today. These are incredible tools. They were not available 20 years ago, and now look what we have. You can make extraordinary health changes in your life by knowing this information and being able to put it together. So, till next time, take care, eh? 
Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to Dr. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they were overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email and uh, I will get back to you. Stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.